Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome into Inside Carolina's Game Plan Podcast. It is the 13th one we've done this season. Wow, time has flown. bit bigger of a game than we've seen so far this year. Carolina and Clemson, 8 o'clock in Charlotte, Bank of America Stadium on Saturday night. Greg Barnes, from historical perspective before we get rolling. Yeah, this is pretty easy, Tommy, right? Uh, only the second time that North Carolina has won the, the Coastal Division, therefore the second time that uh, North Carolina has played in the ACC Championship game. Uh, Carolina had a, had a great run. Uh, seven years ago, won the last 11 games of the regular season. Uh, had an outside shot at the college football playoff. Had they beat number one Clemson. Of course, uh, Carolina lost that game on a controversial – well, they didn't lose it on a controversial uh, onside kick flag, but uh, that, that prevented them from, from rallying for the, for the upset. It was a 43-35 game. But, hey uh, – I think a lot of people after that game thought that, okay, North Carolina has arrived. Larry Fedora's got them where they need to be. And it just didn't come to pan out. And it's very difficult to reach that level and stay there. And so it is a building process. Uh, Mac Brown. Uh, yeah, we could probably have a long conversation about it, but this seems probably a, a year early in terms of getting to this point, but they've, They've been very opportunistic. They're six and two in games decided by a touchdown or less. Uh, and so then they have a chance. And um, I, I know the fan base is a little, uh, I don't even know what you would describe it as. You, know, you, got, you got some who are just elated to, to be nine and three and others who, who think that North Carolina, yeah, is nine and three, but they should be better on the defensive side of the ball. The offense should have played better the last two weeks of the regular season. Um but look, if you win on Saturday night, uh, nobody's going to want to have those conversations. I mean, it's about winning the ACC. Carolina has not done it since 1980. Tommy, I don't know how old you were then. I was three, which is wild. And as Buck Sanders laid out earlier today in his column, I think it's a really good read. Uh, there was no championship game back then. And it was just a matter of North Carolina – uh, doing what they needed to do on the field. And at the end of the year, they had a better record than everybody else. So, therefore, they were the ACC champions. This is like a, a big, legit deal. Um, so, this is the, the modern era of college football. Um, everything's going to change very rapidly with the, the you know, ACC going to just one uh, standings next year. We're done with divisional play. And then, of course, with the college football playoff expanding to – 12 teams in a couple of years. So uh, everything's about to change and, and get unique, but uh, they can close out divisional play with a uh, ACC championship and it'll be a, 
it'll be a good game on Saturday night, Tommy. Indeed. You talk about worlds about change with the transfer portal. Uh, I mean, next week's going to be absolutely nuts. Win or lose for North Carolina, I think. Um, you know, recruiting, NIL, playoffs, just all sorts of crazy stuff. I was nine. Wait a minute. Yeah, I was born in 71. So in 80, yeah, I would have been nine. I was trying to think. It's not like basketball. I was born in May. So yeah, I was nine. Long time ago. Obviously, uh, a lot of hair ago and a lot of life ago. Jason Staples. Um, first of all, where were you in 1980? Second of all, um, sort of perspective for Carolina going into this game. None of what's happened so far this season matters. Um, only thing that matters is the 60 minutes on Saturday night. Um, where do you stand as far as what it means for the Carolina program? Well, I wasn't in 1980. so <laughs> Not even a twinkle in somebody's eye? Nope. God. We're old, nope. Greg. I'm a man. We are. I'm 40. Wow. I said so, that a long time ago. Yep. Yep. Well, if, you, if you're bitter about me being a little bit young, you can come after me. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm 40. Just blew my eardrums. I'm not, I'm not a kid. <laughs> Let me turn my hearing aid down. Yeah. So well, where's this at? Where's this at for Carolina? Well, I mean, it is, it's your, it's your second shot at a title in, in what, six years. So, I mean, that, that I think is probably your, your best uh, illustration of things. Uh, if you're thinking about where this is, I mean, second, second shot in, in six years, that's the first opportunity that this group of players has had. And, you know, it had been quite a while before that. So, uh, you know, as just about anybody who's been paying attention to Carolina football will say, it's not, or will notice, it's not like this program has been competing for conference championships, you know, year in, year out. This has been a sleeping giant program. There's no question about that. We've talked about that at least since I've been around here and before, uh, that this has been a sleeping giant program. But there's been a whole lot more sleep than giant over that time and uh you know that this is this is really big not just because of the opportunity to to win the conference but because of what that would mean in terms of taking another step forward in the waking up of that program and, and of the potential moving forward i mean this would be obviously that much bigger if they'd taken care of business the last two weeks because then you're looking at you know a, a real chance of making it into the into the college football playoff, which when you're then trying to pitch things to to recruits and all of that for you know a couple of years from now, that that carries weight. So it would have been even bigger. But even at that, you you know you say, look, we we now have demonstrated that we can beat and will beat Clemson. We are now in position where anybody that we recruit, we can tell them with honesty, you come here, you might be the difference between us making the playoff and otherwise. And that carries weight. So I think this is a big game, not just for, you know, conference titles matter, but not just for that, but, but, but for the continued development of the program. Yeah, I think, and Greg, we sort of talked about this um, over the last couple of weeks. 
as it was sort of unfolding. And then with David Hill as well, I think the pressure's off North Carolina, but I think there is more pressure on Mac Brown and his staff to get this done because going in at nine and three after two losses, I think, you know, they can play free and the players can all the Heisman talks gone. The playoff talk is gone, but I think this program's at a point here. Um, Nine, nine wins is great for North Carolina. I've said for decades that it's an eight-win program with the floor of six or seven, um, should be six or seven, and a ceiling of ten. And here we are bumping on the ceiling. About that portion of it, Greg, I mean, this game, I, I think this is a, a pressure-filled game for the staff, whether or not they admit it, whether or not Mac Brown admits it. And I think the last two weeks have made it more so for them at least and maybe less so for the players, which is which is better because players can play a little free. I don't know. Where you stand there before we get into the nuts and bolts of what will happen? It is an interesting dynamic, isn't it? I mean, this team is playing for the the conference championship first time uh, and, and since 2015. Um, you know, a few people thought they would be here. Uh, I would say in the preseason, most probably thought it would be Miami or, or Pittsburgh. I know I did. Um, but yet yeah, there's this, this weird kind of dichotomy of if Carolina loses, when you pair it with how they close the regular season, now you're talking about three straight losses heading into the bowl game, which how did last year end? Three consecutive losses to uh, FBS teams. And Wofford will discard. But that was not how they wanted to close. And so they're sitting at 9-1, and one, and kind of to your point, now, if they lose on Saturday night, they go to nine and four, and you're like, ugh. And I think it's more, yes, it's the coaches, but it's more really about some of the fans who are already saying, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of talent on this team. How have they not capitalized? Uh, but yet, if you win, uh, then, well, you completely overachieved. And you're, you're a year early, but you had success. You're a conference champion. Uh, you, Clemson's won six of the last seven ACC titles. You knocked them off the pedestal. So it's like the the highest high and certainly not the lowest low. Carolina's been there, as, as Jason alluded to, um, but certainly a letdown after where everybody thought this team potentially could be a couple weeks ago. Um, and that makes it interesting. And the other part of it, too, is, you know, Carolina has signed three consecutive top 15 classes. And right now, with how things are shaping up, uh, it's going to be probably a stretch for them to finish top 25 unless they get some things go their way here in the last couple of weeks before signing day. Um, that that says a lot about the recruiting momentum and how last year's record really hurt. Well, this is an opportunity Saturday night to probably get back into the the, the front of some of these recruits before signing day. But more importantly, it sets the stage for the next recruiting cycle uh, you you can handle one class that's not elite, but when you start stacking those, that's when you kind of struggle. So you can go 15, 15, 15, 25, 15, but if it's 15, 15, 15, 25, 25, 20, uh, that kind of sets you back a little bit. So, yeah, th- there's a lot on the line here, Tommy. Yeah, you know, it's always, it's always important to have that perception of positive momentum. And I think that's why this game is 
um, huge because it wouldn't be a perception if they win, but it's hard to sell that there's momentum if they don't. Um, but let's talk about, let, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Clemson is six and a half, seven point favorite. Folks in the chat are talking about the weather. I think it's going to be perfect football weather. It may be a little wet. That that field is field turf now, which I did not know until, I guess, last year when I noticed it was field turf. But it's going to be perfect football weather in Charlotte. Jason, uh, let's dig right into Drake May and the Carolina offense. Um, they've struggled over the last couple games, and they've struggled with defenses that did things a little bit differently but had sort of the same success. Um Drake May and Josh Downs are the, are the keys here. Um, so let's talk about them first, and then we'll branch out. What did they need to do? What does Phil Longo need to do to get these guys back on track and to feeling good about themselves, especially early? I think they got to be patient. Uh, the, the The way that Clemson is gonna is gonna attack them defensively is gonna follow the Georgia Tech and NC State blueprint that, that that we've seen the last couple weeks which is going to be to force them to get the ball out quickly but not in positions where it's likely to go for big plays now i mean that sounds like the most obvious thing in the world like well yeah get pressure on the quarterback and don't allow big plays and you're gonna have a lot of success but clemson has the defensive line to do that and, you know, Dabo Sweeney talked earlier this week about, look, with Drake May, you got you to gotta really be disciplined in your rush lanes. You cannot let him move around and, and beat you that way. You have to keep him in the pocket and force him to, to make plays there when he's not quite as comfortable, which is, for what it's worth, further confirmation of everything you and I have talked about, <laughs> Greg. I mean, when we talked about what's the book on Drake May, it's – don't allow him to make make plays on the run and don't and and don't let him move around in the pocket and and create you know a little bit of extra space to where he's comfortable seeing lanes and all of that you've got to get into his lap make him uncomfortable and make him throw over you underneath and last two teams that they've played have been able to do that and he he hasn't looked comfortable some of that, I think, has to do with uh, with some of the 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 offense and how the offense itself has has uh, responded to some of those things. But some of it has been Drake and and the receivers not really looking comfortable against that particular look. So, to me, it's really about Drake being willing to take what what's there right away, take what what he's given. Uh, recognize when downs is bracketed and when that's not there and be willing to come off of that very quickly and go to him. So, yeah. Yeah. People are in the chat talking about state's defense is better than Clemson's and all that. I mean, they're similar. Um, but Longo talked about the patience part of it, Greg. And, you know, in the same answer, I think he talked about bombs away and, you know, that's what's been missing from Carolina a lot this year. Antoine Green, you know, when, when there's an opportunity, could maybe make some hay against this Clemson secondary. But the question is, and, and I missed it, um, the chat's going so fast, Bull Hill is back. Bull Hill, of course, caught up in the wash of the bots <laughs> last podcast and was out and, and was a, had an indefinite suspension of one game accidentally. Are we capable 
we being North Carolina, of being patient on offense. Greg, you've watched them a lot. You've watched Phil Longo's offense a lot. It seems like no matter who the quarterback is, they tend to get a little antsy when they have to put together a 10, 15-play drive. They had some success doing that against NC State, but but what do you see here from Drake and these guys? I mean, Clemson's secondary has some issues, but Clemson's front seven does not. Right, and I think that the point about NC State, um, and Jason touched on this last week, is, I mean, their secondary is probably the best in the conference. And so when you pair that with that 3-3 front, especially with uh, Durden in the middle, I mean, that, that's a tough defense to go against. Um, and Georgia Tech had a lot of success kind of covered on the back end as well. Clemson's elite up front. Um, you know, David Hale mentioned that you know, with Venables not being there, uh, they're maybe not as aggressive, at least in terms of maybe having a an alpha up front that's, that's doing some of the dirty work, although KJ Henry's pretty close. Um, they've, they've got some guys up there that, that are stout for sure. Um, but, yeah, if, if you're able to buy some time, um, you you can have some success against the Clemson secondary. I mean, look what Sam Hartman did when Wake was able to buy him some time. So uh, I think it's it's difficult for Carolina because they have struggled to run the ball of late. And when you struggle to run the ball, whether through you know, a running back or with some of these design runs that, that Jason did a good job kind of breaking down this past week, um, if you're not able to get ahead of the chains, it makes everything more difficult. And Drake, I believe it was 12 passes he threw last week, uh, longer than 10 yards, and threw 49 passes total. But that's what he, uh, PFF had him had him down for in terms of attempts. So it's not like you know he's just chucking the ball down the field like Hal did at times. Um, however, you know, when you're not able to run the ball effectively, and they you know these teams are doing a good job keeping it in the pocket. You, you do have to be uh, very sharp. You have to be patient, even though you know there's pressure coming. And as a freshman, that's just been a challenge the last couple weeks. And so, yes, they have to do a better job of giving him some time. Um, yeah, I would assume we'll see some more max protect just to give him some shots down the field. Because uh, I think that's the only way you can beat this Clemson team is get some easy scores. Uh, but, yeah, this, just the patient part of it, of understanding that Downs is going to be bracketed. But still look for him on some of those, you know, whether it be a glance or a slant or, or whatever, a little drag route. Find him over the middle. Utilize your tight ends. Um, take chances down the field when they're available. Don't force it too much. Uh, but that's that's the being patient part. But if they're not able to establish a, a ground game, and they're not able to buy him enough time, um, I mean, we can criticize Drake all we want, but, I mean, that, that's just really hard to – to execute against when you're talking about a good defense like Clemson. Yeah, Jason, is the game plan here, and I keep going back to the Pittsburgh game plan, maybe on offense and defense, but specifically it seems to me, granted it's been a few weeks, that Carolina really took the short stuff early against Pittsburgh over and over, out of the backfield, Josh Downs on some short stuff. I mean, am I missing something there that this could be, that could be effective against Clemson? Well, again, Clemson's a really good tackling team in general. And that's that's the thing against NC State is that when they did go short on some stuff, none of those short plays turned into bigger plays. 
Uh, and actually, that's one of the. I, I think this is this is worth considering in terms of Osh Down's season and really the last two years. One of the most surprising things to me, when you actually consider things and when you look at the numbers from the last couple seasons, I, I think when we all think about Josh Downs, we think of him as a big play waiting to happen. You know, as a guy that's just dynamic as a wide receiver and he is that maybe this most surprising thing for me has to do with his overall yards per catch and the number of uh of tackles of missed tackles force that he has so josh downs on the year just for the record has 101 targets and 83 catches greg question how many yards per yards uh after catch per reception do you think he's got on the year just guess it can't be many um 200 per reception per reception oh uh five you're, you're close it's four yeah and on get this on 83 catches any guesses on missed tackles force total i'd say not many yeah. Handful. Five. Real close. Six. Mm. That's that's really interesting to me because he's 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 been almost uncoverable one on one in terms of getting open, but in terms of making a play after the catch, that's not really been there for him all that much. Now, if he if he's got open space, he's taken some of that. But generally speaking, he's been a guy that's caught the ball and then gone down within a couple yards, you know, four yards per catch of yards after catch and only six missed tackles forced. Now, uh, for perspective, uh, if you want to think about another wide receiver who's had a year like Josh Downs, and there haven't been many of them, but a guy that's a comparable player, Zay Flowers from uh, from Boston College, who's on a team that is just not nearly as good, obviously, doesn't have the the, the quarterback. He's got on the year 78 catches. So we're, we're comparing pretty close to apples to apples here in terms of total number of catches. Any, uh, any, any guess on the uh, number of missed tackles forced for him? Two dozen. Getting close. 15. And that's with a guy that basically every team double covers all game, every game. And, you know, almost double the number of yards per yards after reception. So interesting thing for me here is I think you're right. They, you know, look, they're going to have to go underneath. They're going to have to do a lot of what they did against, uh, against Pitt. Against uh, uh, when they, when they play against Clemson. They'll have to to be patient and take that underneath stuff. But they're also going to have to find ways to actually make those, some of that underneath stuff into bigger plays. I mean, one of the things that really hurt them against NC State was I can think of two or three times where you hit downs on you know a three-yard route or whatever, and you're, you're really counting on him to get, say, six or seven on that, and he got three because NC State kept stopping those guys you know, uh, there's uh, one very, very important play that was uh, Antoine Green coming across the field and catches it at like the six yard mark. And it's, I think, third and nine or third and eight. 
and he went down at six yards. You're going to have to find ways to not just get some catches underneath, but you're going to have to make some plays after those catches as well. Uh, but I think I think the other side to this, though, and, and this is where I think Greg said something right big time earlier, which is if you're going to beat this Clemson team, odds are you're not going to do it with like small increments and, in, 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 you know, five-yard completions, four-yard completions going all the way down the field. Uh, the, 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 the success... The success rate against their defense is not going to be real high in small increments. To beat them, you're going to have to do the other thing that they did against against Pittsburgh, which is win some battles over the top. You're going to have to beat. You're going to have to have your guy beat their guy. You're going to have to have your quarterback have enough time to set up, make a quality throw, and get your 45, 50 yarder out of it. You're going to have to have four or five of those. I think for North Carolina to win this game, they're going to have to have probably four, maybe more, I'd say five or six pass plays over 40 yards mm. to beat this Clemson team. I, but somewhere in there, four or five is is probably putting you in, in, in competition for this game. But if you don't have a few 40-plus yard pass completions, I don't think you beat this Clemson team. A couple things, Tommy. Um, Clemson has allowed 16 plays of 30 yards or more, passing plays of 30 yards or more this year. So, uh, what, one and a quarter a game? And you're so, going to need four or five of those. Right. Uh, but how did how did North Carolina kind of land an uppercut against Clemson back in 2019 off the bat? Yep, deep. Down, Down Cook number yeah. eight, who's and a Heller. And yeah. from, from a quarterback who could really throw the deep ball. Correct. Um, Tommy, you mentioned that the Pittsburgh game, because that you, I think that is kind of a good example. Um, you know, Pitt runs the quarters, so they do put their men on islands a little bit more. And I, I think when you look at Drake's stats, that very well may have been his best game of the year. Um, he rushed for 69 non-sack yards on 15 carries. So that's really good. But when he was kept clean – uh, he had an 81% adjusted completion percentage for 245 yards and four touchdowns. That was against Clemson. I mean, excuse me, against Pittsburgh. Against Pittsburgh. I mean, yep. that is elite. If he does that Saturday night, Carolina's got a chance. Oh, yeah. About it. If he does that Saturday night, I think Clemson wins the football game. Carolina wins. Right. I mean, I think yeah. Carolina wins the football game. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's the – you can it be done? Yes. And Pittsburgh's got a really good defense. Uh, but when you compare to what happened against Georgia Tech and you know NC State and Notre Dame, uh, Virginia to some extent, uh, that that's more of the uh, common occurrence. Whereas Pittsburgh is more of the exception when you look at kind of what's transpired over the last couple months. So um, he's got it in him, but that's what's going to take, I think, for this offense to really flourish. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's what they need to do. Um, because I don't felt I felt like against NC State at least, and I'm sure the numbers and the stats and the plays and all proved me wrong. It just felt like against NC State they said we're going to run it, and we're going to run it, and we're going to run it, come hell or high water, and we're going to see if they can stop us. And I just think they need to come out against Clemson and sling it all over the field, but take those short things. Longo talked Monday about there was one play against NC State where. I think he took the Nesbitt one or 
took somebody in another. It was JJ Jones underneath. Um, and if he'd have waited a beat longer, Downs was wide open down the middle. Mm-hmm. And you know, so they've got those type situations. But the problem is, is if you wait for that one and it never breaks open, then it's a loss or whatever. And I also thought it was interesting, Jason, is Longo said they did not expect the the runs from May to be really big, long, effective runs. They they expected it to be four and five and six yards and then come back and go second and five or second and four. Um, I think if May's having designed runs for less than five yards, I think Carolina's in trouble against Clemson. Um, but I think if he can scramble for 10 to 15 at times, I think they've got chances. Question, can Carolina's run game be relevant in this game? I would say just throw it. And if he's going to throw it 49 times against State and it felt like they didn't do much, I'd, I'd throw it that much against Clemson. What do you think, Jason? Well, so the one game where, you know, if you're looking at Clemson on the year, uh, they've they've given up some yardage in and they've, they've been, you know, on the ropes defensively in three games. Right. So that's the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame ran for 263 yards on 5.6 yards per carry. <laughs> that's that's a lot. The Florida State game. Florida State ran for 206 yards on six yards a carry. And then the Wake Forest game, which is the outlier here, where they ran Wake Forest ran for 110 yards for 2.82 yards per carry, but just shelled them deep. Now, they, they had some backup defensive backs in that game. That's the outlier where you had Wake Forest's wide receivers who we saw, they're pretty good uh, up against some backups for Clemson and Clemson got shelled until the, until they decided, you know what, we're going to go too high against them and we're going to force them to run. Uh, I don't think North Carolina has the, the running game to do what Notre Dame and Florida state did. I mean, those are two of the best running rushing teams in the country. Uh, I don't think they have the, the, the running game to go for, you know, 5.6 or six yards per carry against Clemson. Now, Look, if you can do that, you're going to win. The, you're, you're probably going to win this game. But I think they need to be better than Wake Forest at 2.82. You know, they're going to have to run it well enough to be balanced in this game because that defensive line, if you do not keep if you do not keep some sense of balance, if you don't keep them honest, they're going to be in Drake May's pocket all game, and he's going to be he's going to be wearing those guys like a suit all game. So you're going to have to find ways to keep them them honest. What I do not want to see, and this is where, yeah, I, I understand that those, those run plays from Drake May, those quarterback draws and things like that in that game, were not intended to create big plays. You know, they're hoping for four or five yards on those. Thing is, about half of them didn't get that. I To me, I don't understand the logic of calling that play to Drake May when you're just going to get your quarterback hit, first of all, if you're calling that to get four or five yards, he's going to get hit and they're going to take their shots on him. And you're not giving him a chance to make a play with his arm where if you call certain short stuff to get five yards, you're probably going to get five yards with him on short stuff. Just sling it. And if it's not there, then he might be able to run it. I don't quite understand that, that whole logic of, 
well, we need to get four yards. Let's run the quarterback in this context. Uh, I do think NC State gamed him. So one of the things about the 3-3 stack is it's going to give you what looks like a light box a lot of times. And so it's going to look like you ought to run. You know, if you're a team that has a box count, it's a box count team, which Carolina is. And you're going to look at, okay, how many guys in the box? All right, this is run then. Run, run, run. Well, the 3-3 stack is designed to give you a light box and then all of a sudden have two other guys come into the box after the snap. So suddenly it's crowded and you should be, you you know, better to throw. And NC State gamed Carolina a little bit in that game, and I thought they won. They, they won with the chalk in their hand, as, as it were. They, they were the, the team that had the chalk in the hand last. And to me, in this one, I think you got to dance with the, with the prettiest girl in the, in, in the ball as long as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to make sure that she, she's on your arm all night, and that means you take your Heisman Trophy quarterback, and if you have to throw it, 50 times because they keep giving you that light box look, but then suddenly they're coming, they're, they're coming downhill and they're, and they're going to turn that into a, a, into an anti run look. Then you, you have to throw it. You have to get the ball out of, out of his hands quickly and have some counters to that. So to me, you have to run enough to keep them honest so that they are turning that light box into a run stopping look, but you've got to, you've got to throw it out of those looks most of the time. Yeah. And Tommy, when we talk about Carolina's run game, um, you, you, you want to run to kind of set up the, the pass a little bit. Uh, as Jason said, with the state's look, it can kind of fool you. And that's kind of where I was going. If you look at what Carolina did against state, especially on first down, they, they tried to run it a lot. They ran it 16 times on first down average 1.8 yards per play on those first downs. And it was really frustrating to watch. Yeah, Carolina was one of 12 uh, on third and five or longer in that game. So when you get behind the chains early, it really makes it difficult. Um, and we know what State did defensively. They were, they were able to get, let's see, 11 QB hurries, two sacks, nine tackle for loss. Here's a stat about Clemson that you have to watch out for. Uh, Clemson – uh, defensively forces uh, offensive drives that gain zero or negative yards 20.5% of the time. That leads the power five. That's fourth nationally. And that's entire drives. That's not plays. That's that not first entire drives. Hmm. So, so, one of that, so one of every five, you know, they're holding an opponent to no yards. You're punting on fourth and ten a lot. Correct. So how do you get there? You don't do anything on first down. Because if you're behind the chains, that tilts everything to the defense's favor. And with that defense, when it's tilted, it's over. That's right. When you've got guys up front like that, look, uh, not not to bang on Spencer Rowland, but he has struggled this year. And yes, Austin Richards has had a good year at left tackle. But, I mean, who do you want to have to block? Miles Murphy, KJ Henry, I mean, even Brian Breesey, whenever they slide him over, I mean, <laughs> good luck. Uh, and so that's just why you have to be, you have to be stout. You have to provide some help. I mean, if, if Rowling gets decimated and he doesn't have any help, that's on the coaching staff. That's not on him. Yep. Well, and, 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 and we talk about he struggled. 
in fairness, he's got a 60, what is uh, a 66.1 grade on, on foot pro football focus on the year. Now, offensive line grades, you have to kind of take with a little bit of grain of salt from pro football focus, but that's a healthy number. That's okay. That means he's played at the, you know, average to above average number. That's a number in green on pro football focus, which means that you're playing at a, at a level good enough for your team to win. Now that's not an all conference level. That's not, you know, Drake May's numbers are in the blue, <laughs> but that's pretty good. A lot of teams in the country will take 66.1 from their, from their tackle. But the problem is 66.1 is going against some guys that are in the nineties from Clemson. Well, if we hear KJ Henry's name called a lot on Saturday night, it's probably a long day. <laughs> and what gets me is nobody talks about Brian Barisi. I mean, I've, I've watched Clemson games. It's like that guy's not even been mentioned except for his off the field stuff and bless him dealing with all that and playing college football. But KJ Henry is who you hear about. Spencer Rowland's got to be good, got to be better. Let me throw up a question here. And this is an interesting discussion to me. Some of those stats are unbelievable. Um, and we're going to go to our Inside Carolina YouTube chat correspondent, Slagle. <laughs> Better question. What type of run plays could be positive against Clemson, Jason? Like we've already talked about, running up the middle on first down or thereabouts is not the ticket. What, what can Carolina do? I mean, have we seen a legitimate running back draw this year? Not, not more than a handful. Have we? What can we see that Carolina can have some success other than Drake May running against Clemson's defense? Well, both you, Florida State and and Clemson, or uh, that is Notre Dame. Uh, both both Florida State and Notre Dame against Clemson had some success with gap scheme stuff. So running some running counter especially, uh, and I think that's and and that's something that Carolina does do. Carolina doesn't really run the draw, so you're not going to see it. The draw is one of those plays that you get if you're if you're throwing a lot of drop back stuff, you know, deeper drop stuff, and then you know teams are getting upfield on that. Then you you might run the draw on that, but it's not really your best bet to pair with what Carolina does in terms of you know your your uh, their overall passing game. So you're not going to see a bunch of that. Normally, if they're running draw, they're running quarterback draw. So, uh, and I, I personally, I would like to see them run very very few of those in this game i don't want to see them expose drake may to those shots when you, you know if you want to run it if you want to keep them honest run it with your running back run some you know some jet sweep type stuff if you if you need to and some some stuff off that action do some of that stuff but don't don't really call stuff designed for your quarterback i think you call the run play and you tell drake may if that look and that look aren't there then you take off and that becomes a quarterback draw, but you give him a chance to make a play with his arm first. I think that's what you have to do with him. But to me, that the what you what you've got to have suc some success with on this one is a few variations of some gap scheme stuff, of some counter, of some uh, maybe some power, but I, but counter and various looks of counter off of different uh, different formation stuff is really is really where Florida State and Clemson or Florida State and Notre Dame had the most success against Clemson. So I think you do that, and I think you're trying to get the edge on counter. You can run counter a few different ways, and a lot of times counter is kind of designed to hit the 
the B gap or the C gap. Uh, so between the, the guard and the tackle on the play side, uh, as that block comes down, it's kind of off that tackle. Uh, so it's going C gap and then you're getting those pullers and it's coming in there. I think with Clemson, you're trying to kind of pin that inside a little bit more and let that back on the edge a little bit. And I think that's what you have to do some. Your back has to have really good vision and hit that upfield if there's any crease. So I think that's that's probably your best bet. And you're gonna see you're gonna see Clemson trying to fit against that. And you, I think you're gonna see North Carolina taking their shots on that play. Thing about it is that you're also going to get some, you know, zero, zero and, and negative plays on that on that play sometimes. And you have to be willing to take a few of those to get a couple potential big plays in that for a back that can run. So Tom, if, yeah. yep. Tommy, Elijah Green's averaging 2.2 yards up the middle on his carries. Uh, most of his success, kind of to Jason's point, has been off the edge or um, in the in the B or C gap. So uh, in any kind of counters, in any type of power where you can get an extra blocker in front of you, I think that's going to be the key for Carolina to find some success on the ground. Yeah, and somebody's got to make some plays. I mean, people are going to have to step up. Step up. Um, a lot of people in the chat, and we could talk about this. It's already almost 10 o'clock. We're not even to the defensive side of the ball. But I, I want to stay on the offense. I mean, Jason, is this a game um, where somebody like Bryson Nesbitt could be big uh, you know Antoine Green I think we need to see play well for Carolina to have a chance um, he, he needs to make some plays down the field but Bryson Nesbitt Morales they hadn't really talked about Morales and talked about Morales the last couple of weeks Copenhaver had a almost a great catch there in the end zone um, is this a tight end game for North Carolina or are they is that a possibility or Clemson's linebackers I mean Trenton Simpson is really good <laughs> he's not the biggest guy, you know, and, and, you know, we've talked about Carolina's smallish linebackers and Eccles and, and Dilworth. Um, where can Carolina sort of take advantage of with those tight ends? Well, I mean, their, their linebackers are all really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the, you, you look at those guys, Trenton Simpson's really good. I mean, we all know how good he is because of how hard Carolina went after him as a high schooler. I mean, really talented player, but he might be their third best linebacker. And none of them made all ACC. And that's why people are getting all jacked out of whack. Trenton Simpson made third team all ACC. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Barrett Carter and, you know, Jeremiah Trotter, those guys are really, really, really good. Uh, They're not tall. Jeremiah Trotter, six foot, 230. Uh, You know, you've got uh, Barrett Carter, 6'1, 225. But those guys can run. And, you know, Simpson as well, a guy that can run. I do think this is a game where you do take advantage of the, of, of the tight end a little bit. So again, I want to go back to the games that, that Clemson has had some trouble defensively. Notre Dame completed nine passes. In total? A total. And they waxed them? Yeah. Wow. Part of that, though, is a pick six and another key interception against DJU, which skewed that. Notre Dame really only was responsible. Their offense only scored, you know, really was responsible for 21 points out of that 35. So, but they, they completed nine passes, four of those and a touchdown were to Michael Mayer. So that tells you something 
you know, in terms of where where the the advantage was. Florida State was another game, as as I talked about uh, a moment ago. Florida State was a game that ga- they gave Clemson all they could handle uh, defensively, and Florida State they completed twenty four passes and had a good a good night. You know, they two hundred fifty four yards, two touchdowns against them, no no picks, and for them. Six of those catches were to Johnny Wilson, who is actually of Florida State's receivers, probably most similar to Bryson Nesbitt. Mm-hmm. He's just lined up out wide a little, little quicker than Nesbitt, but you know, he's six seven. And they used that big matchup basically to throw some verticals against Clemson and win those one-on-ones. And and Wilson won some one-on-ones in that game. And basically that allowed Florida State to move the ball. It was a it was sort of a trump card when Florida State got in trouble. It's like, all right, throw it up to the big guy. which is what Notre Dame did with Michael Mayer, right? They did that with their tight end. Florida State did it with their big wide receiver out wide. Bryson Nesbitt can do both, right? So he becomes a really important guy. By the way, the number two receiver for Florida State in that game in terms of yardage was their backup tight end, right? So now you're starting to look at like, okay, that's two teams in a row that you've got the bigger receiver types and big tight end types have had – some success and that tight end by the way is is more similar to uh to uh uh carolina's other two tight ends so then you look at the the third game that clemson had trouble with defensively and that's last week against spencer rattler and in south carolina little carolina and they had they 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 weren't able to run the ball at all the 1.7 yards per play run but 360 yards passing in that game. And a bunch of that was to Antoine Wells, their big play receiver, who's most like Antoine Green on the outside. And then other than that, they had four four receptions to the tight end. So you had nine catches by your your Antoine Green type and Antoine Wells, and one of them was a 72-yarder that was really the, the play that changed the game. And then four of those catches for 62 yards to your tight end. So I, I think that this is a this is a game where Antoine Green and the tight ends are huge factors in this game. And you've got to find ways to get those those tight ends and green featured in this game and, and get get some easier outlets to Drake May going to green over the top and on some on some stuff where he can use his speed and his and his size against their corners in some one-on-ones and otherwise you've got to use your tight ends in some one-on-one matchups. So I think that's, that's core to what you're doing for uh, against this Clemson defense. Yep. Empty the bag, empty the bag, break some tendencies, do all that good stuff. You better empty the bag in, in a championship game. Yeah. If there's anything left, you know, you need to be shaking that bag up and down and, and <laughs> pouring out the rest of the lint. We got anything else on the offensive side for North Carolina. I, y'all know my standpoint. It's been that way for 12 games this year. Greg, you got anything left offensively before I take a break? Nope. Let's talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Mm. Woo! Sponsors of the Inside Carolina podcast, certainly great friends of Inside Carolina subscribers. They give you 10% off your order if you're a premium subscriber. And why would you not be? You need to get that 10% off. You'd probably save a year's worth of Inside Carolina subscription on your discount here at the holidays with Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Alumni owned and operated. Take care of them. Anything you could possibly ever want, Carolina related. They sell it there. 
and they're good friends and good people to boot. Take care of them online or in person. National guys pay the bills. It's the game plan. It was a long offensive segment. It's 950 on the East Coast. We'll be right back with the other side of the ball. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, guys, uh, it's the defensive side of the ball for North Carolina. It's time to talk about it. DJU, Greg, has been bad, uh, has been really bad at times and was probably one of the worst performances from a quarterback. Um, from a Power Five's per- perspective, last week against South Carolina, what was he, 9 for 29 or something like that? So he's due a bounce back. He's been good at times. Um, what's Carolina got to do against this guy? Because he is a monster. If he gets rolling, he is. He's a big guy. They've been utilizing him more in the run game uh, with some success. Uh, I'm going to push back a little bit, Tommy. Uh, I, I think I think DJ too often is compared to those who came before him. So compared to Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, yes, uh, he's been bad. I think Carolina fans, especially have wanted to make the mistake or have tended to make the mistake of comparing him to say Zach Gibson or Ben Finley, who were third and fourth string quarterbacks that had success throughout the past couple weeks. There's a, there's a massive divide between uh, DJ and those guys in terms of talent level. I'll, I'll break it down like this. What, what makes Drake may so special and the reason that he won all these awards Tommy, um, to give you a golf analogy, it's important to hit shots close because it'll give you a few birdie opportunities. But the way that you make sure that you put good scores on your scorecard is you avoid the bad scores and the big numbers. So it's more about bringing your, your floor up than it is your ceiling until you get to the elite of the elite, the PGA Tour, those guys. Drake May, when kept clean this year, has got a 93.7 grade, which is elite. Uh, About 3,000 yards, 81% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, three interceptions. 
Under pressure, though, his grade 70.1. There are good quarterbacks in this country who don't have a 70.1 grade when kept clean. That's what separates Drake from everybody else, is even when he's under pressure, he has been good, okay? Now let's talk about DJ. When DJ's kept clean, his grade is 89.8. He's not far from Drake, okay? He's got a 76% adjusted completion percentage, 21, about 2,200 yards, 18 touchdowns, six picks. That's solid. When he has time to throw, he's really good. Now, when he's under pressure, <laughs> which is how it comes into play against Carolina, uh, he's got a 44.4 grade. That is not good by any stretch of the imagination. Uh 34.2% completion percentage, 329 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. That is a massive divide between DJ being kept clean and DJ under pressure. What does Carolina struggle to do this year, Tommy? Uh, bring pressure? Is that what it is? No, not bring pressure. No, yeah. get pressure. Yeah, there, there's a difference. A lot Correct. of people think like, oh, you just yes. got to bring pressure. You just got to blitz. No, yeah. you can blitz and still not get pressure. And that's been Carolina. Yeah, and, and, and we need to clarify that. Folks scream blitz, 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 blitz. That's not the point. It's actually getting somebody in the area code of the quarterback. Right. And pressure. to address that specific point, DJ's been pretty good when blitzed because Clemson's done a good job kind of keeping him protected. I mean, he's got 75 grade, uh, let's see, 65% adjusting completion percentage, 700 yards, eight touchdowns, three interceptions when blitzed. That's solid. It's when that pocket collapses that he has issues. Um, so, yeah, it's not about necessarily just calling up blitzes. It's getting home. And the number that Carolina fans do not want to hear is that he's only been under pressure on 25.7% of his dropbacks. So Clemson's done a good job protecting him, uh, and I'm sure some of that's him getting rid of the ball now that he's a year older. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is just a classic case of North Carolina has to figure out a way to get pressure on him. They haven't been able to do that really all season long. Um, and I, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Will Shipley and Clemson's run game. But it's not just about saying, hey, we're going to take away the run game and make DJ beat us. Because if you do that, he can beat you, especially if you don't get pressure on him. Uh, Carolina on the season has 35 quarterback hurries on the season. Oh, that's brutal. In 12 games. (laughs) So – they, they are getting less than three times a game. And this is the stats on GoHills.com. So I'm not pulling cherry picking these from some whatever. 35 quarterback hurries for Carolina. And, of course, eight interceptions. But we can talk about tackles for loss and all that stuff. Jason. Well, and I'm going to add to this for from, from what Greg said. We all remember, look, Carolina played Notre Dame. We saw Notre Dame earlier this year. They're, they're pretty good up front, right? They, they got some pressure. They're pretty good at that. They only got pressure on DJ and the Clemson passing offense 19% of the time. 
which is about standard for Clemson. You know, did you say 20% overall? Yeah, so it's a little below the below 25. the average on that. So yeah, that's uh and the 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 interceptions, by the way, he, there were two interceptions in that game. One came when not blitzed and not under pressure, and the other was kept clean. Yeah. So when I say it needs to be the Pittsburgh game plan and make they forced Slovis to beat him and he could not. Not that. It's not that on this side of the ball. Jason, nope. what so you know, I, I think everybody's got to realize and I asked we'll talk about a couple comments Chizik made in Monday. I thought a couple were pretty enlightening. But it's not a pro, it's not a thing of bringing pressure. It's a thing of getting pressure. So what what can Carolina do differently to mix that up? Um, because if they blitz and they don't get there, they might as well just run a run somebody off the field and tell them to stand on the sidelines. We'll play ten against eleven. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 what's the lay plan down here? and play dead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have made Jason get get laughing. Yeah. I mean, that's um, what people don't understand. They say blitz, 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 blitz. Well, if you blitz and don't get home, it's skeleton. I mean, yeah. it's, it's easy pickings. And yeah, at that point, it's seven on seven, but they're down a guy. Yeah. So so what does Gene T- – okay, I, we did this earlier in the year. You're Gene Chiswick for promotional purposes only for this podcast. What's the game plan here to try to do something different? Do well, first, before I'm no longer Gene Chiswick, I'm going out and spending some money. Because <laughs> my pocketbook just got a lot bigger. <laughs> Give me After some. I've spent some money and established my family in good position for a while, I am. Uh, this is a game where I'm coming in with extra pressure packages. So this is not a matter of bringing six, you know, five, necessarily five, six guys. And certainly not seven most of the time, because you're not wanting to end up with some of their receivers. Although their receivers don't scare you as much as you, as you might think. I mean, they, they don't, they don't throw a whole lot of, uh, of fear into you outside. They do not have a T Higgins or a Sammy Watkins or a nuke, nuke, Hop, uh, uh, nuke, uh, Hopkins or any of those guys that those guys are not walking through that door for them right now. And that's a big problem for them. That's one of the reasons that this team has two losses. I mean, it's not just on DJ teams have been able to get some pressure on them at times and, and cause problems for them because they've been able to do that without, without those receivers getting creating a bunch of plays downfield. Uh, but what I'm looking at is how many I'm, I'm carrying, let's say, if you're if you're Chiswick, you bring in on average, I think it's four or five pressure packages per week. In this one, I'm bringing in like nine or ten, which is by the way around what Bateman brought in every 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 week last year. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to show looks where you're going to end up bringing four and dropping seven, bringing five and dropping six. So you're, you're not getting unsound on the back end, but you're bringing that pressure from different places to force their offensive line to pick up some twists and pick up some stunts and pick up some, some uh, rushers that are, that are filling the gaps on some places. So, because uh, their offensive line, they're, they're a little on the younger side 
and they're not super talented. Their offensive line has actually been a little bit vulnerable at times to some twist games and, and some blitz stuff where it's the zone type blitz or, you know, you get a dropper and somebody's coming in from somewhere else and you're getting some free rushers on them that way. They're not getting beat, you know, just beat up front a bunch. Uh, but they are, they have given up some, some, some stuff on some of that twist game type stuff, at least to my eye when I've watched them. So for me, if I'm Chiswick, First of all, you're going to have to play the guys that get more pressure more often. So Rucker has to get more more uh, situational pass rush attempts in this game than anybody else. You're going to have to get guys that have had success rushing the passer more reps. And secondly, you're going to have to find ways to use a little bit of twist game, have a, a stunt paired up with a with a backer blitz to to create some some confusion up front and try to get some pressure without making yourself vulnerable on the back end. And that's, you're just going to have to carry more packages in to cause them some problems with that. Yeah. Somebody, well, oh, I'm not even going to call his name. I mean, folks give me a hard time for calling the same person in the YouTube chat all the time. Well, he, he brings relevant stuff, Greg. I don't, I can't say I've seen a lot of stuff off the edge blitzing for, oh, they uh, brought it. I haven't, but it hadn't gotten home. Yeah. They just, the teams have picked it up really well. Most of the time. Yeah, so so who has a big game for this North Carolina um, defense to sort of – well, we haven't even talked about Will Shipley. I know you got some stats there in front of you. I do. And Will Shipley's different. Let, let's talk about him. You got DJU that's 6'5", 230, that he's going to run the ball. Um, you've got Will Shipley, who's a flat-out stud, that can carry the ball. I mean, Carolina's got to stop something. <laughs> got to try to stop something. Who, what what do they do with Chipley? Yeah, that's that's the other thing too. Because I know people are listening, and saying, "Wait a minute, Clemson's offense is not that good. Um, they're they're not elite, but depending on what metrics you look at, I mean, this is probably you can you can make a legitimate case. This is the second best offense Carolina will have played this year outside of Wake Forest. So yeah, it's again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. This is not the Trevor Lawrence offense of old. But they're they're pretty good. Uh, you know, we'll get into it in a little bit. But they've had some turnover issues, which has really hurt them of late. Uh, l- let me say this: Uyangalule, uh, as you mentioned, is a big kid. He's been effective running the ball. Uh, he's got 671 non-sack yards, 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, that's not quite at Drake's level, but pretty close. And he's also broken 36 tackles. So he's a big lumbering guy. They, they've used him better of late. He had some good runs early against South Carolina. Um, Shipley, you know, for, for his size, he's not a, a monster kid. He's, he's 5'11", 205. Uh, but he is, is a really strong runner. And you know, I mentioned earlier Elijah Green's averaging 2.2 yards per carry up the middle. Uh, Shipley is averaging 4.9 yards per carry uh, in the A-gaps on 58 carries. So that's that's a lot of work up the middle, and he's having success. He's got a little bit over a thousand yards on the on the ground this year, over six hundred yards after contact, and he's broken forty five tackles. So he he really is kind of a load for uh, for what Brandon Streeter and those guys want, want to do for for the Clemson offense. Um, if you had to if you had to choose, which 
Gene Chizik has to choose. Uh, if you had to choose, you want to take away the run. Uh, they've had some success of late. Granted, they haven't played any offenses that have really good running attacks. We talked last week, NC State really didn't have a good ground game, right? And Carolina locked them down, so they did what they needed to do. But it wasn't like they you know, shut down Bam Nine or some of those guys from last year. Uh, they'll have to have a very good performance up front to limit both DJ and Shipley in that run game because they have success running uh, off the edge. They have success running up the middle. They can do a lot of different things. Um, and if you're giving uh, Uyangalule like third and shorts and asking him to pass it or potentially run, uh, it's, it's going to be not easy, but it's going to be a, a much more simple game for him. So you have to do a good job on first and second down and do your best to kind of limit Clemson because Dabo Sweeney will will allow you or, or he would like to be able just to kind of pound the ball like Notre Dame did and just move the ball, control the clock, um, and just wear you out so that he doesn't have to rely on DJ winning the game. Uh, you have to stop that first and foremost. And then as we've already talked about, you know, DJ is a different problem with his ability to throw the ball. Uh, but that's, I mean, if you have to pick the lesser of two evils, him throwing the ball is probably it. Yeah, you got to get him on the ground. Um, and you got to, and, you know, somebody said in the chat, George Jenkins, on paper, Carolina's in big trouble. But that's why you play the game. Jason, who steps up on defense for Carolina? I mean, I, you got to believe Cedric Gray will have a big game. But but looking at this Clemson offense, we haven't talked about Phil Maffa. I mean, 26 will come in and get some some rush yards too if you're not careful. Um, but where's Carolina's um, best bet here on defense? If they're gonna if they're gonna win this game, then they need Miles Murphy and Rucker to eat. Those two guys have to have to play really really well up front. So. Whether that happens or not is another question. But they're not winning this game unless those two guys play really well. And, of course, there's some questions about who's going to be actually available in the secondary, right? I mean, that's we – can, we can talk about, you know, whether Storm Duck is going to play. If Storm Duck plays, then I'd put him on that list as well. He needs to play really well. And if not, then – you're going to need a really, really good game from Legend Cavazos and uh, and and uh, Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen. You're going to need you're going to need the corners to hold up, and you're going to need the two guys that have have been the most successful at generating pressure uh, and getting penetration to to really do that. So you're going to have to have those two guys up front, and then those two those corners, whoever the corners on the outside are, are going to have to hold up. And one guy I'm concerned about against Clemson, by the way, is is actually uh, Boykins because of what Clemson does. They've got a they've got a very fast uh, slot receiver, and Boykins at times teams have run by him a little bit with with some stuff. Carolina's generally kept some deep help for him, but Clemson will scheme to get to get some guys one-on-one with him and, and try to run by him a little bit. And he's going to have to play really well. He He's played well on the whole on the season, but that's that's an area where they'll try to to get a matchup where it'll it'll feel like a slot receiver on a linebacker because he's kind of that hybrid between a sort of a safety and a backer and a corner 
Uh, and he kind of is more like a safety and a backer than he is a true corner. And they'll try to get somebody on him and try to run by him a couple times. And he's going to have to hold up. One thing I see, and Bo Collins is out for Clemson. Somebody asked did they have injury issues. He's out. He's their number one touchdown guy, number one deep threat guy, averaging 17 yards a catch. But Will Shipley with 30 receptions. And he doesn't have a ton, uh, 30 for 195. But Carolina's shown a propensity of not being able to cover a back out of a backfield. Greg, you're, you're a key player on defense for North Carolina. I think it has to be – one of the tackles. I mean, you take your pick, whether it's going to be Hester uh, or Murphy, but somebody just has to be disruptive up, up the middle. Uh, and they, they've been okay up the middle all year long uh, where they've had issues is, you know, not really getting any pressure off the edges. Um, but everything starts in the middle of the defense. And so I think if they have some level of success, and that doesn't mean locking down Will Shipley, but being able to control that point, um, I, th- I think that's key. You got to have somewhere to, to anchor your defense. And so, I mean, th- we've talked a lot, we, especially the last two weeks, right? It's line of scrimmage. If you want to be able to win this type of game against an opponent like Clemson, who has won the ACC championship six of the last seven years, they've won two national championships, they know what it is to win in the trenches. If you want to beat that type of team, you got to be stout along the line because if you're not, forget it. Drake may may be able to keep you in the game if he you know, makes some good passes down the field and you, you score some easy ones. But if you think you're going to beat Clemson and not be able to match them at the line of scrimmage, you're dreaming. Um, and so I think defensively it's got to be some of those guys up front. And I think it's with Hester and Murphy starting, probably one or both of those guys needs to have the game of their life. How big are turnovers here? Uh, I mean, they're random, and, and except for interceptions, Greg, you've got you, some stats in front yeah, of you. Yeah, you're setting me up here. So Clemson um, has had a little bit of struggles the last month. Why? Turnovers. Clemson has coughed the ball up 15 times in their last five games. Okay. Only six of those are picks. So they've lost nine fumbles in five games, which is crazy. Who's putting it on the ground? Uh, I don't have those numbers in front of me. I'll look it up while you're talking. Okay. I'll find it. Uh, the issue for Carolina, though, with with kind of the – and this this is the interesting. We've talked a lot about the, the bend don't break, right, and how successful it was in 2015. You, teams just chewed up yardage between the 20s, and then Carolina did a good job shutting them down in the, in the red zone. We've had that conversation. It's not really happening this year. Carolina's not had a lot of success keeping teams out of the end zone once they get down there. But what that team also did in 2015 is they created a lot of turnovers, especially interceptions. This team is not. Uh, Carolina is, is tied for 103rd nationally in forced turnovers at 13. Um, it, you know, if Carolina is to win this game, I really think they're going to have to force some turnovers. Clemson's lost a turnover margin in those five games I just mentioned. Last five games, they've lost turnover margin. So um, if Carolina is able to be opportunistic and force a couple turnovers and just have a little bit of an edge, I mean, every possession matters, right? Uh, that That's going to go into how they're able to, to pull off an upset. Yeah, I can't – Clemson doesn't have their – who who coughed the ball up. But you're right, that's a ton of fumbles. And, and the thing about if my memory serves, State put the ball on the ground four times. 
and Carolina couldn't get on it. Or at least there was one where it's bouncing around and guys are jumping on it and it's like pop rocks down there and state ends up getting back on it. Um, All right. So I got, here you go. Um, DJ's had four. Shipley has lost four. And I think that's pretty much it. So their tendency to put it on the ground, Jason, um, we're about to get to the prediction portion, but, but what's what's another thing that's important here? Special teams, kicking game is, you know, it's tough when you miss kicks in overtime. That tends to be highlighted. Or in regulation, that would have put you potentially in position to win before it got to overtime. I mean, that yeah, State missed one too, so they kind of washed out on that. But it still hurts when you miss one. You got to take advantage when you got chip shots. Yep. So, so what's what's a key factor here we haven't talked about before we get to some predictions? I think we've talked about basically everything. We we pulled the meat off his bone. So I, I say <laughs> we just get to get to uh, the predictions. You're up. Oh, all right. It's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I do think Carolina, and I've said this for the last few weeks, and I, my my opinion on this has not changed just because Carolina has stumbled the last couple of weeks. Carolina has a puncher's chance in this game because you've got Drake May, you've got an NFL wide receiver in Antoine Green, you got another NFL wide receiver in Josh Downs, you got some tight ends who are versatile. You, you, you can score points, and you know the funny thing is, to beat Clemson, you have to score points, <laughs> right? That's I know that's real deep, real profound, but you got to you got to score points to beat them. And this is a team that that does some of the things that some of the teams that have scored against Clemson have have been able to do. So I just go back to the South Carolina game last week, and Spencer Rattler, who's not as good as Drake May, and they don't have the same level of wide receivers that North Carolina does. Twenty five of thirty nine for three hundred and sixty yards, two touchdowns two picks. Now, I think if May throws two picks, they probably don't win the game. But that 360 yards, 9.2 yards per uh per uh I think that's per completion, but you know, it might be per attempt and I not looking at the right thing here. Um no, that's per attempt. 9.2 yards per attempt. You can do that to Clemson if you if you protect your quarterback and 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 all of that. Carolina can the problem for me is I think Carolina to win this game is going to have to play a more complete game than they've played pretty much at any point this year. And, you know, there's the old saying defense wins championships. That is false. It's also false that offense wins championships, complete teams win championships, more complete teams win championships. And Carolina has not played like a complete team through most of this year. They've had a, a few halves where they've looked like a complete team. But I thought Greg's points about DJ against pressure and against against when, when he's got time to throw, that's huge in this game. And you think about that being the one big, big weakness that Carolina's got, and then there's, there's some concerns about who's healthy in the secondary. I just I think Carolina's going to score some points in this game, but I think ultimately Clemson's also going to score some points, and I think it's just going to be enough. So I do think this will be a this will be a football game like the 2015 game. Carolina's going to have a shot to win this game. 
And if they don't turn it over, they're going to have a really good shot. But ultimately, I think the better overall team with more experience in these situations is ultimately the team I'm going to bet on. And that's going to be Clemson. I'm going to go with Clemson winning this game 38 to 31. Greg's laughing because I think I just nailed Greg's score. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Let let me, let me looking at some stats here, Greg, while you reformulate your score, Clemson has 96 tackles for loss on the season. Carolina has 45. That number that, that that's, that's unbelievable. Greg, uh, give me something. Uh, Tommy, you, you asked about special teams. Uh, that's been a strength for Carolina all year long. They've been really good. You look at S&P Plus, they're 29th in, in special teams, which is really good. Uh, Clemson is good across the board, uh, and they're 22nd in special teams. And to Jason's point, Clemson's 33rd in offense, 26th in defense, 22nd in special teams. So that's not the – elite national championship caliber team that we've seen Clemson have before, that's still really good. And there's a reason they're atop the ACC right now. Um, you know, I agree with everything that, that Jason said. We talk a lot about matchups. Uh, and to your point there, Tommy, and as Jason kind of laid out, you got to get pressure on DJ. Carolina struggled getting pressure. Um, Clemson's prone to turn the ball over. Carolina struggled to force turnovers. Like, <laughs> Some of those things just don't work in, in Carolina's favor. Um, I agree that Drake May gives you a, a puncher's chance. And if he has a well of a game and has another pit performance, Carolina can steal this one. But if he is not elite, I just don't see how Carolina can win. Um, I didn't have it exactly as Jason's, but I had it Clemson winning 38-27. <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think Carolina's competitive. I, I think they – have a respectful performance that the fan base can appreciate. But I don't think Carolina is quite there, quite there yet to be able to, to play spoiler for Clemson. Uh, that may come next year, but we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I think Carolina loses this one on Saturday night. Somebody in the chat, oh, my man Bull Hill. And Bull Hill, I just blocked a bot and didn't catch you in it. Yeah, the bots seem to know exactly when we're about to wrap up. It's I amazing. Know, really. They come in at like the exact same time every like show. before we wrap up every show. It's wild. It's like they're waiting for you to walk out the club and uh, catch you on the way out. Somebody at Bull Hill, how many tackles for loss has Carolina allowed? That number would be 78. Yikes. So they've gotten 45 tackles for loss. They've allowed 78. Uh, they've gotten six, 16 of those or sacks out of the 45, 34 of those 78 or sacks for the defense. I'm not picking a score right now. And I'm not doing it because we're doing a live show at 1200 Graham Street before the game. A ton of inside Carolina people are going to be down there. Y'all can come down there and hear my pick. You're going to get swayed, Tommy. I, I can feel it. <laughs> Just us saying that, they, that they've got to, that, you know, I can see Tommy in that live show going, well, you know, there is a puncher's chance. I mean, Drake may does Drake may things. So you're, you're telling me there's a chance. I need more. Yeah. I sat in that stadium 2015 and uh, never thought they had a chance. And then they did that. And, and Tommy, they were down by 19 in the third quarter of that game. And uh, yeah, had a chance. So, and I and I know one of those officials from that game. 
and he I still give him grief every time I see him about the same thing. So uh, anyway, um, I'll pick on the pregame show I see live at 1200 Graham Street. Um, come join us. There's a ton of inside Carolina people there. Great tailgate. Shout out to the 200 plus people that have been in this chat. You know, it's kind of disappointing that when they win, there's a bunch of people. When they lose, there's not. So I don't know. I guess people put the pitchforks up and just. We're gonna have to keep that Jedi Shogun question that just came into the chat for the next uh, for the for the postseason analysis. I need to to market. I uh, here's the deal. Folks have asked a lot of questions about portal and this and that. We'll talk about that next week. We'll have a big, um, you know, get out of dodge podcast when the season's over we'll talk about a lot of stuff but this is straight acc and and clemson and championship game talk greg barnes and i talked to david hell i will tack that audio on the back side of this so y'all guys you you need to listen to that i know a lot of people say well david hell said cedric gray didn't deserve to be acc all of first team he didn't say that he said that he was surprised he was leading vote getter and probably shouldn't have been there's a difference right about that actually I mean, I've always said if you're on the best player on the worst defense, you're never going to get voted first team anything. Props to Cedric Gray. He had a great year, um, but I was surprised. And, and I think David Hale sort of laid it out as to why. But anyway, next And it's kind of crazy, by the way, that, that uh, Drake Thomas was the number three vote getter for defensive player of the year in the ACC and was second team all ACC at, that, at his own position and was not behind any of the players – yeah, that's crazy. ACC yeah. voting sometimes for these things is really strange for me. but And that's why people get twerked up about it, and I don't understand it. I mean, Storm Duck made second team. And granted, Storm played great since the Pittsburgh game, but the Pittsburgh game was in late October. And so, anyway, grain of salt on that stuff, but props to those guys for getting first team all ACC stuff. And Drake, of course, swept all the awards. I think he's got to have that type of game on Saturday night. Um it's going to be a hell of a night in Charlotte, man. All these Charlotte players, all these guys that are from Charlotte, ACC, Carolina, and Clemson. It's hard to believe we're at this point. Jason Staples will talk to you pregame. Greg Barnes, I hope to see you in Charlotte. It's been the Game Plan Podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Stay tuned after these ads for Next Level Audio with uh, Greg and I and David Hale. Worth a listen. Boys, be safe. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's Next Level. I'm one of the hosts, Tommy Ashley. Greg Barnes is the expert here. And we've got a special guest with us again this week, David Hale of ESPN. What's going on, David? Oh, not a whole heck of a lot, guys. We made it through the regular season. We're all still alive. That's, that's a strong step in the right direction. 
it is incredible that it we sit here and that college football regular season's over with. I, I just can't. It does believe. feel like it went faster than any year I can remember, and I don't know if it's just sort of like the fact that like we're. I don't know, for for as much as you might want to say on the other side of COVID, like everybody's back to, you know, traveling and being at games and uh, all of that. I, I don't know. It just felt like it was, it flew by comparatively. It did. I mean, I, I, I'm getting older, so time flies faster. But <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it seems like yesterday we were all up at App State in, I guess, week one after week zero FAMU game. Greg, it's crazy how it, it how it goes by. David, I wanted to bring you in. We wanted to bring you in. We've had a couple of national guys on lately, but you, of course, are the, the resident ACC expert. North Carolina and Clemson in the ACC championship game Saturday night in Bank of America Stadium. How much does this game mean for a program like North Carolina, at least from your perspective? We know what it means internally, but from the outside looking in, what does this game mean for Mac Brown, Carolina program? How much of the last two weeks changed that if they have? Just in general, the thoughts on the ACC championship game coming up. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a fantastic question to pose about either team right now. Um, I, I fact-checked this the other day. This is the first Power 5 conference championship game in which both teams are coming in off of a loss since 2012. Also, the ACC. Go ACC! Uh <laughs> But, I mean, it, it does uh, sort of beg the question of, like, what does this game mean in the big picture of things? Because if you're North Carolina, you know, you had uh, this great season going and lots of energy and enthusiasm, and then you drop two games, one to a team that you really had no business losing to and one to your chief rival uh, in pretty uh, excruciating fashion. So what's the... What's the energy level right now? On the flip side of that, you know, Clemson, again, also coming off a loss to its chief rival and a team that was used to going to the playoff every year that for the second straight year it, it doesn't have any chance at it. Um, and you talk to fans. I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter and, I, you know, I don't want to ever suggest Twitter is real life because it absolutely is not or good Lord knows I hope it's not. Um, but you hear lots of Clemson fans saying, I'm selling my tickets. I got no interest in going to Charlotte to see this game. Like, I don't know, is, is, is this, are, are both teams sort of licking their wounds or does it really matter to win an ACC championship in this era of playoff or bust? I think you can easily make the case that for Carolina, this still has an opportunity to be a signature game. A, because beating Clemson still means something for the rest of the ACC, even if Clemson is down a little bit. And B, because Carolina has not won an ACC championship in a long, long time. And Mac Brown even talked earlier this week, like, this is why I came back here, is to put North Carolina back on a national stage. Um, I think there's a lot of, of sort of national belief that, that Carolina was a bit overrated even to begin with. And coming on the heels of last year, in which they were most definitely overrated, um, it's that's got to be a frustrating place for – the, the team to be in. So I think there's there's certainly more to prove for Carolina. There's more to play for in a lot of respects. But, you know, the flip side of it is is Clemson has not been great, particularly on offense uh, this year. Um, but that's still a team with a whole hell of a lot of talent and a whole hell of a lot of pride. So I would be reluctant to suggest they're phoning in a game. I, I can't remember a time in which I've seen Clemson do that. So 
I tend to think it's going to be a pretty good matchup of two teams that really care, but um, it is a unique circumstance for sure. Yeah, I think with what, what Dabo has done in Clemson, uh, I, mean, I think you make the case that it rivals what Nick Saban has done as Alabama, maybe not to that extent, of course. Uh, but but I, would, I would be shocked if Clemson doesn't come out prepared. I, I do find it fascinating. This kind of dates back to last year. As everybody talked about how bad of a year Clemson had last year. And they won 10 games. Um, and uh, when you have guys like Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, who are just elite, best of the best, uh, that really takes that offense to a no level. I mean, when you look at the stats for Clemson, yeah, it's not an elite offense, but it's still much better than a lot of the offenses that, that Carolina has has encountered this year, other than maybe Wake. Um, in terms of, you know, DJ gets a, gets a ton of heat. And I know he struggled last year. He's been better this year. What have been the major stumbling blocks for Clemson this year? I know it's not just DJ. It seems like their wide receivers have had some consistency issues as well. Yeah, to me, that's uh, the biggest red flag with Clemson is because this is a program that quite proudly designated itself as wide receiver U for a long time. And I mean, we're talking about, you know, the era from New Hopkins and Sammy Watkins down to Mike Williams and T. Higgins. And I mean, they're churning out NFL guys on a regular basis. They haven't developed anybody in the last few years. Uh, and as much as DJ has, has struggled, and he has, um, you know, last year, his best wide receiver was a true freshman in Bo Collins. This year, his best wide receiver is a true freshman in Antonio Williams. Like, that's a, a strange place for a program like Clemson to be in. And Dabo has really shrugged off the transfer portal and said, I'm not going to spend much time on it. Um, they've desperately needed a veteran, consistent receiver for the last two years, and they haven't had one. Um, I thought they did a really good job early in the year of working in the tight ends. That has not really been as successful the last um, probably four or five weeks. Um, they have not done a great job of utilizing what who I think is maybe the most talented player in the ACC and Will Shipley. Um, he's had more than 20 carries just once this season. Um, if you're Carolina and you have a run defense that is, uh, I think, the second worst in the ACC, like the last thing you want is this week everybody asking Dabo why they haven't used Will Shipley more because if they give him 25 or 30 carries, he might uh, go for 200 yards. But the other thing about Will Shipley is he's a really versatile athlete. I mean, he can catch the ball out of the backfield and be a genuine weapon in the slot or or coming out of the backfield and catching the ball. So I, I think they've misused him a little bit. The funny thing on the other side of the ball, I think that they're probably their best overall athlete is Trenton Simpson, and they probably misused him a little bit too. And that speaks to sort of the other big issue, I think, that, that's been looming over uh, Clemson is that it's a different coaching staff this year. I mean, they have different coordinators on both sides of the ball, and I don't think either of them have necessarily done a bad job, but you can tell that this has been a team on both sides of the ball that has really struggled to find a core identity of who they are and what they want to do. David, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but you bring up a point that I wanted to address later anyway. Um, and it's relevant for Clemson, and it's also relevant for, for North Carolina under Mac. When, when, when you have success as a head coach and you have national championship-level success, uh, you kind of get set in your ways. Um, and, I mean, you, you go with what works, right? I mean, Roy Williams did that forever. And he, he was open at the end of his tenure that he didn't want anybody on his staff that he hadn't either coached or uh, 
had on his teams um, as an assistant. So uh, I think with Dabo bringing in you know, Brandon Streeter, kind of elevating him up uh, because they've had you know, Elliott and Tony Scott have left. Uh, you got Wes Goodwin on defense with Venables leaving. All in-house hires. Max kind of done a lot of the same things. There's a lot of pressure on some of his guys. Uh, you know, Dre Bly, Tommy Thigpen, Tim Cross, um, who maybe have not uh, uh, coached up to the level that fan base may would like. And the concern is, well, these are Max guys. You know, he, he's going to roll with the guys that he likes. Uh, are we at a point now where, where Dabo uh, and, and maybe Mac, although I think it's a little early to make the comment about Mac, uh, are just set in their ways and they're, they're so interested in kind of keeping going uh, building within from guys that they know and trust that it could be a little bit of a detriment? It's a really good question. Um, I think in North Carolina's uh, case, there's always to me, I think one of the fascinating sort of balancing acts that head coaches have to do in college football is whether you're building out a staff with a focus on recruiting or building out a staff with a focus on development. And ideally, you want guys that do both really well. But I don't know that there's a ton of those guys. You know, like, Drake Bly is a hell of a recruiter. I think there's a question when you look at Storm Duck and Tony Grimes and their development, or lack thereof, like, how good of an on-field coach has he been? I, I also wonder how much of that can we put on an individual position coach? I tend to think we, we point a finger of blame real easily, and I sure as hell am not smart enough to say, without question, that's where the problem is. Um, but I think there's a little bit when Matt got here, it was like, we need a staff that can recruit the hell out of uh, the Carolinas and start improving the talent on this team, which they have unquestionably done. But, you know, the obvious follow up to that is, well, what you've gotten a lot more talent onto the roster now. What have we done with it? And I think there is a good case to be made that the blue chip guys that Mac has brought in have not developed, certainly not developed as quickly as a lot of fans would like. And I think that's a reasonable question to ask why, um, you know, the, the, it's funny that you, you bring up this question, this question, because I have talked to Mac specifically about Dabo before and, and Mac has, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll, he's pretty blunt about how things ended at Texas and how much of it was, you know, I can remember him talking about how like even winning games wasn't fun anymore because like there was still more criticism coming at you and that there's all this pressure on you to keep winning because of this whole infrastructure that your success supports and how much that sucks the fun out of what you're doing. And you start insulating yourself from the criticism because the criticism is everywhere and, and that becomes a problem. And, and I think, you know, I don't think Max tenure ended the way he would have liked it to at Texas, but I think he was glad when it was over for exactly those reasons. And you look at Clemson, boy, that looks like exactly what the story is at Clemson right now. Dabo seems angry miserable, uh, not enjoying things the way that he used to. And he has really closed himself off from the outside world and it, both in terms of his hires. But I mean, he just, you know, you, you just look at how he has handled himself this past week with questions about the quarterback and stuff like that. And he's chippy about it. He's angry. He doesn't want to, uh, I saw on his radio show, he basically, somebody asked, the caller called in and asked if he would make coaching changes. And he basically said, if they don't like the way I'm doing things around here, they can find a new coach. Um, that does not give you the sense that this is a guy who is enjoying uh, his situation very much right now or open to criticism from the outside world. And and I get that. Again, you talk about balancing acts in this job. That You have to have an ability to both 
believe in yourself and your core concepts and what you're doing and the people around you, but also uh, distance yourself from it enough to say like, okay, this isn't working and we do need to do something differently. And, and I think, you know, to Max credit, um, he did make a change to Gene Chizik at, at defensive coordinator last year when he knew it needed to happen. Um, how much that has been a success, I think is still a very open question. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if Dabo can because Dabo's entire um, sort of persona is built around the fact that he has thumbed his nose at all the people who criticized him over the years and he proved all of them wrong along the way. So when you see the sun come up every day, you start to assume it's going to keep coming up the next day. That's a great point about all that. I mean, Mac was not trying to hear any negativity earlier in the week, um, talking about looking back to NC State, Georgia Tech. He wanted to focus that this North Carolina program is in the ACC championship game for the second time ever. You know, they're, they're playing for an opportunity to win ACC for the, like, the fourth time in 40 years and all that. So he was all about the task at hand. But I want to stay here just for a minute, David, because – it's an interesting point about player development, recruiting, how the transfer portal has changed all that, how NIL, uh, you know, Mac was pretty vocal about that on Monday. Um, so, so what do coaching staffs need to concentrate on these days in this new landscape? I mean, it, it's not all about high school recruiting anymore because you look at Florida yeah. State, you made the point on, on your Twitter feed, Florida State's all their good guys this year were transfers. Not all of them, but a lot of them. A big so, number of them, yeah. So so how does that change the landscape for Mac and, and the coaching staff and sort of balancing player development versus getting ready-made guys through the portal and all? I mean, it just seems like the game has changed so much. And if you're not having fun doing it, especially if you <laughs> have made millions of dollars doing it, you know, you think, what's the point? But where do you stand on all of these changes and how it affects a program like North Carolina? I mean, I, I think this isn't the answer that uh, I think anybody's supposed to give, but the answer is, I don't know. I think we're still really early in this. And I, I think anybody that tells you that they've got it all figured out is lying because they don't. Um, you know, it's we are we are moving the college game more towards the professional game all the time. And that's a double-edged sword, obviously. But one of the cool things about, you know, following professional sports is there is not one blueprint for how to build a winner. And I think that is true in college, too. I mean, what Mike Norvell's doing is really impressive at Florida State. Um, but I think even if you sat Mike Norvell down and asked him, he'd tell you, like, this isn't what I want to do every year. I don't want to have to go out and get a dozen transfers every year in order to put a successful team on the field. It's what he had to do in that situation. Um, I, there's, there's a blend probably that, that works. And I mean, like I say, you know, Clemson, that was right. The culture and the people are what has made that, um, program stand out over the years, but that doesn't mean that you prioritize this insular logic over all else when you clearly need a receiver or you clearly need an offensive lineman. Um, I think there's, there's a balance. Some teams are going to need to be more invested. Some teams not. I think you're foolish if you think NIL is going to be anything other than pay for play at this point, And you might as well jump all in if you can. Um, I think that, you know, the biggest thing is to be sort of open-minded about where things are going, because I don't know that there is an answer. And I feel like there's a lot of coaches right now who are sort of, uh, you know, they're trying to fight the, the currents. And I don't think that's a winning strategy. I think that will, that will ultimately overwhelm you. I think there is an opportunity 
for programs that have not traditionally won at the highest levels to say there's a new landscape here and we can embrace it and do something different and have a chance to sort of change the narrative. Um, But, you know, again, this is college football has a way of, um, you know, uh, to to quote the wire, the king stays the king. And that's uh, I I tend to think that tends to be the way it is in college football. More things change, uh, you know, until Saban retires. I think largely things will stay the same. But, you know, I, I think the other side of that, too, is like the teams that can afford to hire more support staff are going to be in a much better position in this day and age, too, because at the end of the day, the one thing that can't change is that there's 24 hours in a day and those coaches cannot do more than what they can do. So the only way to address that when there's more and more put on your plate is to hire more and more people. You were talking about that. I was thinking of the old riptide thing. You can't fight it. You better swim sideways if yeah. you want to try to get in. And uh, but but looking at it, you know, I, I kind of thought when the transfer portal happened, I don't I don't like the immediate transfer, but I thought that sort of leveled the landscape a little bit because you've got teams, um, you know, quote unquote lesser teams or G five teams that are getting talented guys from other schools and they're able to compete better. I mean, we've seen that across the board, but. Now I believe NIL has made your point valid. The king is still the king. Uh, I mean, how many teams can compete financially with these guys? I mean, we saw a, a three-star North Carolina recruit that's got to um, decommit coming down the road and going to another school down south. Um, pretty clearly a big NIL deal there. Uh, I mean, in your mind, what is the ultimate landing spot for college football and, and and let's focus it on North Carolina because Max said clearly they're not in the ballpark on NIL a cry yeah. basically a cry for send money please <laughs> you know but, yeah but, I think you know part of it is sort of the willingness to embrace it as I said I mean I you know I like Bubba and he is a very sharp AD but um, I don't think he was stoked about the direction that things were going in um, and I don't think he necessarily like ran away from it, but I don't think he was the first to jump in the pool either. Um, and, and so, you know, you see this with a lot of programs right now where they're sort of like, let's wait and see how this plays out. And that wasn't necessarily a bad way of looking at it until you're getting lapped by other people who dove in first and you're playing catch up. And that's a little bit of where a number of, of good programs are. Um, it's about building out sort of an infrastructure. And again, this this all comes down to saying like, it ain't you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle like this is the way it is and i think this is the answer for college football in general like yeah people want to fight tooth and nail to kind of make things the way that uh they were before and i just don't see a way that it's possible because whether or not you think it is good for the game is i think a very valid question and i have brought this up before you know after the jordan addison transfer out to usc which without question Every part of that move made sense for Jordan Addison. He's getting more money, playing with a better quarterback in a higher profile environment with a chance to prove himself for the end. Like everything made sense for Jordan Addison. And it still sucks. Like that sucks if you're Pittsburgh and you lost this guy, right? So there is a very good argument about whether this is good for the game of college football. But the fact of the matter is um, there's no collective bargaining agreement. Every other student on campus can transfer without penalty. Every other student on campus can profit off their name, image, and likeness. Every other student on campus has uh, an opportunity to do the same, to do these things, and athletes should have that too by right. Now, does that screw up the, the competitive balance of college football as a sport? Yeah, of course it does. 
Um, and I think there's just, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, the tide has turned in terms of public opinion, in terms of the, the legal opinion. Um, the Supreme Court's ruling uh, last year essentially set the precedent, like there's no going back. So the only thing you can do is say, all right, it is what it is. I'm going to get better at this than everybody else is. Yeah, a staff member told me uh, not too long ago that this was really, at the current moment, it was looking like uh, NFL free agency without contracts. I mean, that's the problem is like, and even like they put in these transfer portal windows, which sounds like a good idea, except no, it doesn't matter. Like it, it's, it's sort of like when we talk about like when N- NBA free agency season starts, like everybody's already got their deal in place before it actually starts. So like, and then the day happens and like the minute that you're allowed to sign contracts, like 50 guys sign contracts, like, like obviously people are going it, are saying I'm going to go into the transfer portal or being recruited uh, are, are tampering and all of that. That's happening whether there's a window to do it or not. The window just specifies when the formality of it all happens. So I, I don't know. I think this is, again, I, I tend to believe that like the, the if you're going to start professionalizing it, just finish the job and make it to where it's a workable situation. Because the one thing I really you know, dislike in all of this. I dislike the tampering aspect of it. I dislike the fact that, that, um, you know, athletes on a college campus are being lured away from where they're at with promises that, that may or may not be deliverable. Uh, and I absolutely hate, hate, hate the guys who are quitting in the middle of the season because things aren't going their way and they want to go in the transfer board. Finish out your season. That should be the bare minimum. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bud Elliott of Cover 3 Podcast, 247, uh, made a a great point a couple weeks ago in saying that uh, transfer portal after this season especially is going to be haywire because nobody could go out and recruit for that 2021 recruiting class because of COVID. And so guys were being signed, and they had no understanding of what kind of relationship they would have with their coaches. The coaches didn't know if they had evaluated properly. And so now that we're a year past, everybody kind of understands what the coaches are like, how good the players actually are. Uh, and so it really could just be a free-for-all. And yeah, after- I, the, the, the impact of COVID, it's, we are really, I think, underappreciating how much that is still driving a lot of what's happening in college football because exactly what you just said, but then add on the fact that you have all these guys that are taking six years of eligibility or fifth years uh, because of the COVID year. I mean, there is just so much in flux right now that, um, you know, again, I'm hesitant to say like, this is, this is how things are going to look five years from now, because I think we are, we are in a real, a period of real gray areas right now. Yeah. And Mac was, Mac was right that Carolina is going to have our time ponying up the cash to compete with, the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. But I think the other component too, and this uh, this kind of brings us back to Clemson a little bit since I got us so far off on a dirt road through a jungle. Um, <laughs> but Mike and Dabo, uh, and there's a lot of other guys like them, one of their strengths as coaches is recruiting and recruiting at the high school level and then getting guys in, getting them to stay, and then coaching them up. And now we're talking about the transfer portal and uh, the guys as a four or five star that's willing to sit on the bench for three years. I mean, those guys are, are fewer and far between. And so yeah. I think that really hurts what Dabo wants to do. It certainly is hurting what, what Mac wants to do. And I think that's some of that frustration. So how those guys uh, counter that kind of to your point, how they adjust, I think it's going to make a, will say a lot about how, how that style of, of coaching and, and program building 
kind of plays out in the years to come. Um, all right, let's get back on the ACC championship game since uh, we don't have you for too much longer, David. We talked a little bit about Clemson's offense. Let's talk a little bit about the, their defense. Uh, Georgia Tech and, and NC State and even dating back to, to Notre Dame and some of the other teams in between did a really good job against North Carolina's offense and kind of limiting the vertical passing game. We know state secondary is, is you, you can make the case, is probably the best in the ACC, but state was still able to get pressure on Drake. And then he just didn't have time to throw. I think less than 25% of his passes last weekend were beyond the 10 yard mark, which is kind of wild. Uh, Clemson, it seems like on the back end, they've suffered some injuries. They have some young guys playing. We know how elite KJ Henry and some of those defensive linemen are. Um, it is, do you see that the key to this game for North Carolina being a situation of just trying to buy Drake May enough time to take advantage of the field? Yeah. I mean, I, to me, you know, there's, there's a lot of high quality talent on Carolina's offense, but the weakest position is the O-line and they have played subpar football the last few weeks without question. And so much of what, you know, Phil Longo's offense is, is explosive, as we all know, and it's a really good system. But it is a system that is built around timing and accuracy and, and decision-making. And when uh, a defensive front can throw all of that out of whack, you see what the results are. It, is, it becomes, you know, it goes from looking like a Ferrari to – you know, you miss one of those spark plugs and all of a sudden it's the Ferrari that's parked on the side of the road waiting for a tow truck. And um, I, I think that, the, that the, the absolute critical thing here is to buy some time for Drake May because, as you said, there is an opportunity to beat Clemson down the field. We saw that against Wake Forest where Sam Hartman absolutely torched their secondary, which admittedly was a little banged up at that time. But, I mean, it, you know, Andrew Makuba just got absolutely destroyed by Spencer Rattler last week. Um, I think there's both um, an experience deficit at Clemson in their secondary, and I think right now a confidence deficit in their secondary. And Drake May is obviously well poised to take advantage of that. But the flip side of that is is uh, Clemson's front seven can be really, really good when they're playing at their best. Uh, I think it's a little strange that they have not been better this year, um, which is not to say they haven't been really good. I mean, they have without question, been very good, but we're used to sort of the Brent Venables, like, attacking style, and it hasn't been quite that aggressive. Um, they've lacked sort of that alpha male type of, of leader, and, um, you know, I, I, a lot of people kind of compared this defensive front to the 2018 team that had Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Farrell and Dexter Lawrence and those guys. And it's not been that by a long stretch. So it's sort of like uh, expectations sort of define your, your judgment. This is still a unit that is more than capable of devouring North Carolina's offensive line if they play a good football game. To me, this is it's, – it's how much can Carolina's offensive line block against that Clemson defensive front. If they can give Drake May some time, there's some huge avenues for Carolina to, to uh, pick up some big chunk plays. If they can't, I think it's going to look a lot like what that NC State game looked like. Last question for me, and then we'll let you get out of here. I sort of wanted a two-parter, but one, can you sort of speak to Drake May's performance this year from an ACC perspective, sort of a historical perspective? And also, um, to wrap the show, Carolina 
wins the ACC championship game on Saturday night, if. <laughs> um, well, I mean, in terms of Drake, it's, you know, there's just not a lot of guys who have done what he has done at his age. And, um, I mean, particularly you look back last year, Sam Howell's a hell of a quarterback. And um, so much of what this offense looked like was, uh, you know, just out of sync for, for way too often. Um, and so some of the, the improvement this year certainly goes to the receivers getting better in the ground game being marginally better, I guess, um, or at least a little more diverse. Uh, but, I mean, just comparing Drake with a guy who was, who was an NFL quarterback last year, a veteran NFL quarterback, and he's that much better. Like, to me, that speaks volumes uh, to how good he is. And I mean, certainly, you know, look, I'm a bad scout because I don't, I just, I don't know this stuff, right? This isn't my area of expertise, but you talk to the guys in the know and they will tell you Drake is as talented as any quarterback in college football right now. I mean, he has the tools. Uh, I think he clearly has the right sort of perspective and mindset on it too. Like this is a guy that is going to be scary for the ACC uh, next year and, and potentially beyond, I would guess that probably just next year. Um, you know, how, where does he stack up historically? I mean, there's been some damn good ones of, of late. I mean, Kenny Pickett last year, obviously was great. Trevor Lawrence came in and won a national championship as a freshman. I don't, I don't know if it's fair to, to make those sort of comparisons. I think the, the cool thing about Drake is like, you know, it's funny. I talked to Mac about this when I was doing a story on Drake and he's like, everybody always wants to ask like, you know, who does Drake remind you of or whatever? And he's like, look, he's got a little bit of the Vince Young personality. He's got the Colt McCoy accuracy. He's got this Sam Howe competitiveness. And it's like, that's the cool thing about Drake is I don't know that he is one guy that you can compare him to, but he's got a lot of traits of a lot of great players. And to me, um, boy, that's the, that's the best spot you could be in. I mean, you've got a guy where you can say like, he does a lot well, like all of these other guys who used to do one thing or two things well. So um, anyway, I have high, high, High praise for Drake May, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he does get the job done uh, on Saturday against Clemson. I, I, again, I think it comes down to how well the O-line can block and if they can um, get, uh, you know, if, if they can keep Drake comfortable enough to let him find, you know, get past his first read. I think that's that's critical for, for Carolina's offense. I think defensively, I would be shocked if Clemson is not putting the game in Will Shipley's hands. Uh, I think they have got to be able to stop the run or at least slow it down. Force DJ Uyunglele to beat you. Don't let the ground game beat you. Um, DJ certainly capable of doing it. We've seen him play really well. Again, you look at the Wake Forest game that get in, gets into a shootout. DJ played really, really well, but he has been struggling in the last month or so. And I think you have to put the game – You, have, if you're Carolina, you would rather the game be in his hands and force him to beat you than let Will Shipley run it down your throat. So, uh, you know, I, a lot of this, I think, comes down to the line of scrimmage, as it so often does. Can you block for Drake May, and can you can you slow down the running game for Clemson? Indeed. All of that stuff is accurate. I, I agree wholeheartedly. you got to figure out how to stop Will Shipley, a North Carolina kid playing yeah. in North Carolina in Charlotte. <laughs> in in <laughs> fairness, his parents were NC State uh, grads. So. <laughs> But I did love I did love Max's comment earlier this week though that he uh, he had sweet talked Will's grandma hoping that that was going to get uh, get them an in. What a delight! I love Max. Mac is just the best. He is. Uh, he pulled out all the stops there. But yeah, better Clemson than NC State for Will Shipley. Uh, Carolina will find out how good he is 
or if they can contain him on Saturday night. That's been David Hale, a David Hale joint on Twitter. Um, a fun follow. Very interesting discussions. We didn't go the all ACC team route, but if you want to check out David's comments on all ACC teams, check <laughs> no, out his Twitter do it, feed. Do it. Check out his Twitter feed. It's been Inside Carolina's Next Level. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes. Special thanks to David Hale. Appreciate it, fellas. Thanks, guys.